2019 Furman grad and three-time All-American Frank Lara recently had a breakthrough professional performance with a 101.48 half marathon at the uber-competitive Aramco Houston Half. Frank's mark moved him into the top 30 for fastest ever American half marathon times. He joined us last weekend for mile 49 of the Seconds Flat Running podcast. We discussed Houston, his college experience, his move to Boulder, Colorado for training, and we had fun with the finer points of block starts for distance runners, taekwondo, his facial hair, and more. Frank, welcome into Seconds Flat. Thanks for joining us. How you doing, man? Excellent. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's our pleasure to have a former Furman All-American join the program. Most recently, Frank, 61.48 in the half at Houston. That's 4.43 per mile, only 12 seconds behind the top American Jared Ward, could you describe the race for us a little bit? Maybe expectations, <laughs> strategy, the way that felt at the finish? Well, my like main strategy was basically get into the group that I thought I could run with. And a couple of miles later, I looked up and I was surrounded by all of the fastest Americans. And it was like, <laughs> okay, this is the group then. But yeah, it was, so I'm from Houston, Texas. So I grew up there and the coolest part of the experience for me was just running down the street, looking up at every street we were crossing and thinking, I know that street very well. That's where my Taekwondo class was. And just, just things like that, like kept happening throughout the race. Um, the weirdest thing of it all is I, we like got to the last like mile, half mile or so. And the whole group was still there. And I was just so bewildered about thinking like, there's still so many people here and I'm pretty sure we're all still running really fast it's going to be a really fast day for everybody. And I was just like so overwhelmed. And I like looked up and the race had ended. I was like, what? Did that just... <laughs> yeah, it was an it ultra was fast day for everyone. You're right. And if you watch, you know, that was, it was streaming live on the local uh, news channel there. And I watched some that morning. When you see that coverage of you coming through the line, it is kind of like a little bit of astonishment, it seems, from you. Was that the, the first reaction? Yeah, I mean... Not only did, did we, like, come through with so many people, like, the so the two people closest to me were my teammates and the people that I've been training with this whole time. So it was like, we all did it on that day. And it was just a really, like, cool feeling to have kind of the group just come together in the end like we did. Did you plan to work together through the race with your teammates? I mean, I think everyone's kind of plan was just to get in the right group that they're comfortable with and... It ended up being the same group, and it was a fast group, so <laughs> that's always turned nice. out pretty well, yeah. Yeah, I, I read somewhere where your coach thought going in maybe sub-63 was a realistic target, maybe even surprised him a little bit. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. So this was my second half that I've ever run, and the first one I ran 64-23, I believe, mm -hmm. and that was up in at uh, Monterey Bay, California. 
and when I did that, I had been like struggling with some like fueling issues. Ended up kind of like having side cramps my past couple races and stopping and walking for a few portions of races. So like a main goal going into Houston was I'm not going to stop once, which is a weird goal to have when you're in that kind of group. But <laughs> I knew if I could do that, I would it would turn out well. So I think we were just kind of, we didn't really have an idea of what I could do over the distance just because we never really had a good gauge of it. What did you change with the nutrition? I've just basically like having like simpler meals before, not trying anything like right before or anything, just a normal breakfast with nothing special. Yeah. So what does that look like for you? Because I think this is a, a great point for people of all levels who listen to us. Your race started at what time? 7.01. Okay. 7.01 precise gun. Yeah. Well, for me, I didn't cross the line until 7.01 in two seconds. <laughs> okay. So my chip time's a little faster than my gun time. Sure. <laughs> and what time did you get up? Four. I okay. Think. So yeah. about three hours before. Mm-hmm. And could you walk us through what that three hours looked like? before 7.01.02 when you actually crossed the line? We basically got up, went and got breakfast the for like the elite athletes and everything. Mm-hmm. I was fortunate that I was part of the elite athlete support crew of my teammates who got in the elite field so I could join them in on that. And it was, it was really nice. They had like a, it was like a nice hotel with like everything laid, laid out. But uh, I basically just had a little bit of oatmeal and some cantaloupe, I believe. Okay. <laughs> and I think a piece of toast, one or yes. two. <laughs> so, so simple. You're right. Yeah. It was re- really simple stuff. Yeah. Um, and then what does your warm-up look like before the race? Well, normally I'll start warming up like an hour before the race. I might start a little earlier just because... You never know, like, getting to the starting line might be a little bit ju- bit of a challenge. We were, like, a mile away from the, less than a mile, but the starting line wasn't right next to us, so we're going to take that into account. Basically, about an hour before, I do some drills, leg swings, lunges, and then we'll run for a bit, normally, like, three or so miles. Once we were, like, in the corral, it was a pretty tight area filled with a lot of people, so it was challenging to do everything, but, like... The whole crowd was kind of doing loops around the corral, doing their own thing. So it just kind of like worked out. But you just had to find your little space and everyone had their own little drills they were doing. I was doing mine. So it was weird because everyone was kind of doing it, but there was like so many of us there. And then once they actually released us into the starting line, we, <laughs> this was a stressful time for me because I, I really wanted to be close to the front of the line. And when they like let us go in, I kind of weaseled my way. I have smaller stature so it's a lot easier <laughs> to do that but um and then I like looked up and it's like two of my teammates from the elite field were right there I was like oh cool I made it <laughs> I'm right so, where I need to be for the people who don't know Frank what uh could you give us a a measurement height uh, <laughs> and not not like in not in vapor flies but in just a normal <laughs> regular shoe, okay yeah well shoeless I'm five four okay yeah so in Vaporflies, you're like 5'7", probably. Basically, yeah. All right. What shoes did you race in? Vaporflies. Okay. The next percent, the most recent yeah. edition? Mm-hmm. 
Any thoughts? Because, you know, just this week we've seen some uh, discussion of new regulations coming down on shoe limitations headed into the Olympic cycle. Any thoughts from you based on racing in those versus what you've raced in previously or just general innovation and technology in shoes versus where we get to a point of is enough enough? Yeah. Well, I think... The biggest advantage that I think those shoes, any of the new shoes coming out is what I personally felt and have like heard from other people wearing them is that after you finish a race, like you don't really feel your body doesn't feel the impact that you would have in like another pair of shoes. So that's, I think, a big draw to them that I think a lot of people don't realize is kind of like they don't it doesn't tear up your body as much as a regular race would if you're wearing those shoes. That being said, are you going to feel better? over the last like 200 meters of a race and somebody who isn't wearing those shoes i mean if you're like not getting as much impact and you're not feeling that wear and tear on your body the next few days so like your body probably is feeling a little bit better at the end the iaaf just released today their official statement on everything and i think i mean obviously shoes have come a long way since like 50 years ago and i do like the idea that technology can keep advancing but also like limiting athletes to shoes that are available to everyone and i think that's an important part of that to acknowledge because if i can wear them i feel like anybody else should be able to wear them so why can't i kind of thing yeah that access point is Mm -hmm. significant and i completely agree with you about the way you feel to close a race, having worn them for marathon distance, you're right. You just feel a little less beat up. And maybe that's more than a mechanical advantage of why they have been so helpful for mm-hmm. so, so many runners. Uh, you mentioned Houston hometown race. Did you have a good crowd out to watch? <laughs> I, I did, actually. Um, after I had dinner the night before, my friends actually like abducted me from the hotel. <laughs> and <laughs> We like hung out for like an hour and just talked, but uh, it's it, it was really cool to be home. I spent a lot of time with my family. After the race, I stayed stayed there for a few days just to really enjoy being home because I wasn't home that long for Christmas, so it was nice to be there for like a longer time. Um, along the course, I had a lot of supporters, so it was it was really cool to see from like friends from my high school to my family members to friends my brother has at, at his high school and it was just it was really cool to see at one point probably I think I was like mile seven there's a big group of my friends standing there cheering me on and um I remember turning to Footsums and his lasse who's right next to me and they're like Footsum those are my friends and he just, like, <laughs> and just, just kind of rolled his eyes but uh it was funny is your brother still in high school right now yeah he's a senior Oh, how cool that he got to bring his friends out to watch. Does he run as well? Yeah, he does. Oh, that he is su- such a neat experience. And I can only imagine, you said mile seven, being over halfway through the race and seeing that support, just that boost of energy that you got. That yeah. that had to be really special. It was really cool. I At no point in the race did it feel like, oh, I'm in a race. It just felt like I was having fun and like just running with a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. might be one of the best descriptions you can have of a really great race, right? Mm-hmm. You're you're enjoying it even though you're pushing yourself in the 440 pace. That's fantastic. Now, 
We've talked a lot about the Olympic trials coming up here on the show. It's 64 minutes and below to get into the trials, but you told me your plan is not to do the marathon trials. Could you describe that decision? And then also, instead of the trials, what will be next for you? Yeah, I've been getting that question a lot, asking me if I was doing the trials, and I understand why I got into the U.S. Olympic trials. Why wouldn't you run it kind of thing? Um and honestly, I just, I don't think I'm ready to run a marathon. That's a whole nother monster that I will, I'm looking forward to tackle in the future, but just not right at this moment. Um, in the meantime, though, I am really excited that I'm going to get to race um, in the U.S. 15K championships on the road in Jacksonville. It's the Gate River 15K, so it'll be really cool i think there'll be a lot of people who are like a similar boat as me who are won't be doing the trials but are still like focused on the long distances and are excited about i think a lot of them will be excited to get on the 10k on the track so i think it'll be a really cool field there so i will see you in jacksonville i'll be perfect running gate river run i will be well (laughs) well behind you but hopefully i can see you either uh, before the start or after the finish that is First weekend in March, so mm-hmm. a week week after the trials, and always a great field there. So that's an awesome opportunity. It sounds like a, a, a wise decision for where you are in your training. What did the training look like, if you can give us some details leading up to Houston, maybe whether it's just some workouts or mileage or anything you're willing to share, and then if that evolves at all for the next uh what do you got six-ish weeks here till jacksonville in terms of training it's just kind of it's been a big kind of a big change from my training at Furman to what i'm doing now i when i was at Furman, i my highest mileage was 85 to 90 miles a week and now i'm basically only doing like 70 to 75 but that's also at altitude Sure. So that, I think, I mean, it's probably taking me about the same amount of time to get that mileage. So duration-wise, I'm still kind of getting the same stimulus, but uh, this is kind of what my coach and I decided, and it's it's been going well. I mean, we do a little bit of everything. A lot of our workouts are, like, effort-based, and I don't know, it's hard, it's hard to describe. I feel like everyone does kind of generally the same thing, just kind of <laughs> sprinkles it throughout their their training but uh i mean leading up to the race things were going well we always do hardish effort that is a little bit less volume more like interval work like the week leading up to a like big race we're targeting so um we did some miles that week and then uh, it was like a really it was cool because it was like six of us guys on the team doing it all together and then we were all in the starting line together or so so it was really cool to have the gang we had all but three people from our team in that race. So that was really cool too. So how has that transition to altitude been for you? Really, really smooth, honestly. I, Boulder is, Boulder, Colorado is a place I've been coming to every summer since I was like a freshman in high school. So like the past nine years in a row. And it's always been like my dream to be here. And I've only ever been here for like a month. So I've always just been excited about the possibility of settling down here and like truly diving into training. And um, it's been really good. I, in the past, I've always been able to adjust to altitude in the few weeks that I've been here. So 
actually living here, it's it's weird that it's the norm now. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will say training and working out at altitude are very different from racing at altitude, which I got to experience my after my first month here in this road 10k in Fort Collins. So that was <laughs> that was a bit of a challenge. A big big surprise how hard that felt, but yeah, that's eye-opening, right? I know that this weekend, uh, Joe Klecker, who we've had on the show recently, who's there in Boulder at University of Colorado, is trying to run a sub-four mile in Boulder, which is just a yeah. totally different experience, right, than doing it at sea level. That's actually happening in a couple hours from now. <laughs> so by the time this gets posted, we will have results. We'll know if Joe made it happen. We hope mm-hmm. so. Why'd you pick Roots Running? Why, after leaving Furman, uh, obviously what you just said there about being in Boulder had to play a role, but what about the team you're on right now was so attractive to you? I mean, apart from the location, our coach, Richie, he's somebody that I've known since high school because, uh, so the reason I've started coming to Boulder since high school was because my team in high school would go to this running camp here the Boulder running camps that coach Jay Johnson puts on and Richie the first few years would speak at this camp. So I knew him from that and I knew that he had started putting a team together and I, towards the end of my career at Furman, I was talking to a few groups, a few coaches and nothing really clicked for me until I spoke to Richie Mm -hmm. just because he, I come from a health sciences background. That was my major at Furman and I did a lot of like, human performance research and um, exercise physiology interest and the way he talked about training and like how he was applying true like science to everything that's what really motivated me to be like okay I that's the perfect place for me he is doing everything that I want to do and everything that I want to be a part of and at that point I just like didn't even need to meet the team which in hindsight I probably should have (laughs) but But I I mean, the second I joined the team, I was like already part of the group and everyone is so great. They're all so kind and welcoming and just some of the best people I know, honestly. And it's just been, I got lucky there because I didn't even like question that part or <laughs> look into it. But yeah, yeah, I mean, the big draw was just knowing Coach Richie's training and like how his plan was to develop me. So yeah, that sounds like a great match then. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's rewind to Furman for a little while here for yeah. the locals here in upstate <laughs> South Carolina. You were a multi-time uh, SOCON champ, uh, several distances, NCAA All-America. Favorite Furman running memory, Frank? I got to say my fifth year, no, my fourth year, um, there was a, when we do our long runs, at Furman, we go to this park in uh, North Carolina, the DuPont State Forest, and our long runs were some of the hardest things I've ever done, <laughs> like just ever. And I I loved doing them, and it was always so fun because it was just we would do this 16 mile loop around the park that was had a lot of really long climbs. It seemed that it had more climbs than fall than downhill, but I that <laughs> can't be the case but it it did seem that way but the group used to kind of always like spread out a little bit throughout that just because we had quite a bit of 
that we had a lot of guys. Not everyone could like run as fast as everyone else, but there was um, one long run in particular where I believe we had eight or nine guys do the whole thing together. I remember like getting to the top of one of the climbs and looking around and be like, oh, wow, we have a team. I'm really excited for this year. Um, and honestly, I think that was uh, one of the best parts about Furman was just looking around you and knowing that um, you had all these really good guys that were all willing to like put in the work and um, strive to be their best. There is something special about that pack mentality. Yeah, definitely. And having run that loop, I can attest that there are more climbs than downs <laughs> on that. I don't know when you ever come back down, but yeah, it's it's rugged. Um, what has made the Furman program so special in recent years? You know, we've seen the success since Coach Gary's been there, and the program has emerged on a national stage. What are some of the key ingredients that just made it feel so special for you? I think without the coaches, the team wouldn't be where they are. With where they are, without the recruiting they did, they wouldn't be where they are. Without the development that they brought to every one of the athletes, even if like the performances weren't showing, like I, um, my freshman year, I ran fourteen thirty four in the five k. And I didn't improve in that until my junior year. And that was the first time I made nationals on the track. So it was just like, I think a big part of it was just the level of like commitment and interest that the coaches put into their athletes and kind of building that culture that the athletes could spread to each other was just kind of the big factor that kind of brought everyone together to where they are now. Now, I do have... One race to ask you about. Our our mutual friend, James Quattlebaum, wanted me <laughs> to raise... There was a 200 you ran at JDL in like 2017 in 34.3. <laughs> you uh, showed up... Did, uh, well, I got a lot of thoughts here. One, I want to talk about coming out of the blocks. Did you come out of the blocks? I did. They made us come out of the box, yes. Oh, what was your form like, Frank? It was pretty bad. I, I'm i pretty sure <laughs> I just kind of stood up and then started running. It was not good. So the exact opposite. There was no drive phase no. In, your, in your 200. No, not really. 34.3 for that. Now, it, it's funny because like if you go on your TFIRS page, that looks as if it's a 200-meter PR for you. Uh, let's say you, I, maybe you've done some workouts with 200 meter reps in them. I mean, if you're doing repeat 200s, what pace would you possibly be doing? Normally a little closer to 30. <laughs> okay. So, so maybe three or four seconds faster yeah. than your PR. Now talk to me about that heat. What did the competition look like? Did you dust some guys there? What was it, Frank? Um, I'm not, I don't think there was anyone that I particularly dusted. <laughs> I think there was a lot more people who were trying to accomplish something that day than I was. Um, <laughs> I like the way you said that. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, it, we... So the reason <laughs> that I was in, entered into a 200 that day, and if you look at my T-first page, 
you will also find that in the past I've done some 60 meter dashes as well. 8.4, I think, in the 60. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that that time I was trying. <laughs> so, our, at Furman, we're a basically mostly just distance team. So, um, and the NCAA has rules about how many people you need competing at every at X amount of meets, right? For you to be like count as like an official track team. So kind of a loophole that we found was we'll just have all of our distance runners run short events right after cross country ends. So basically we had nationals and then a couple weeks later after like we took a week or two off, we'll have like our first run of the week and then we'll do a stride on the track and that's what that was. How did you stack <laughs> up against your teammates that day? Did you have any other distance teammates in the 200? Um, not in the 200. I remember... One of the other 60-meter dashes we did, though, there was, like, three of us in that heat together. And in the outer lanes were two guys that were much larger than us. <laughs> and were clearly built for this event a lot more than we were. Um, <laughs> but there's definitely a lot of driving spirit in that those 60-meter races when you look next to you. And um, <laughs> one of the guys that you're thinking, like, Oh, there's a, there's no way it could, he could he could beat me in a 60 meter dash, but he's right there. I don't know. It's it's weird to like try your hand at an event that you don't really do ever. And, but that's fun though. And yeah, I, fun. gosh, I'd be afraid I'd hurt myself uh, in a in a 60. Good for you. That's Did, that's kind of why I held back during that 200. Yeah, <laughs> I'm well, pretty sure that was in trainers too. <laughs> Did, did coach break down your your block form at all afterward? Give you any tips? No, no. Just we said kind of went home after that. Yeah, just let's all get on the bus. We didn't and really talk home. about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, Frank, the thing you miss most about Greenville? Mm, the food. Any place in particular? There's a few, but it's just like every now and then I'll like crave white duck taco shop or yeah. or like tandem and i'm just like there's no there's nothing here that i can go out and be like oh this compares to that not necessarily because of the taste just because like there's, there's there's no places like that over here yeah sure oh. it's just unique sure yeah yeah i hear you got a new gig with strava what are you yeah. doing there <laughs> i am a community management representative as in i reply to emails about to users about problems with the app or anything else along those lines. The title sounded really powerful, though. Thank you. Frank. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how's it going? You like working with them? I love it. Um, we just recently moved into a new office, and there's like two headquarters, one in Denver and one Earth. There's two headquarters in the US, one in Denver and one in San Francisco. And we just moved into a new office that is really sweet. It's really big. And there's still, like, a lot of space that we don't really need right now. But it's very nice, very modern. It's weird to work for, like, a really cool tech company. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's it's been really cool. I really like the people and everyone. And it's just everyone kind of – it's – I mean, people who use Strava are people that are really passionate about what they do and, like, love their sport working with people that like actually make that happen it's like the next level of that so it's been really cool getting to be a part of that 
Yes, that app has certainly been huge in uniting the active community and Mm -hmm. linking people together. So that's really cool. All right, Frank, before we go, we got the bell lap, okay? (laughs) Quick, Quick hitters. First things that come to mind on these. Uh, oh, what's wait. your what's your current training shoe? The Nike Odyssey React. Oh, okay, yeah. Favorite post race meal? Anything with French fries, I think. Okay. There's never. Uh, I mean, it's not the French fries that do it. It's just I'm. We'll eat anything after a race, and normally. That's what's nearest. <laughs> yeah. So if, if you cross the line and poutine is nearby, you're ready to jump at the French fries and gravy. Sounds great, yeah. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> if you weren't running, what would you be doing? Um, I would be pursuing my dream of being a rock star. Mm. So to that note, um, a couple side questions here. <laughs> One, favorite musical influences? My favorite artist, who I've modeled my Instagram name after, is Dance Gavin Dance. Their uh, fan base probably isn't listening to this podcast, but (laughs) (laughs) if you're willing to take a risk and listen, feel free. Hey, take the risk or follow Frank at at dance underscore Frank underscore dance <laughs> on Instagram. And also in maybe your rock persona here, Frank, the mustache is on point. And <laughs> I took some criticism through my no shave November for my mustache. But I had a I had a marathon coming up in December. And I wanted to, to prove it, to earn it with a good stash. I said, uh, if you remember in the fall, Baker Mayfield shaved his mustache, the Browns quarterback, because he said he didn't deserve it. He hadn't earned it on the field. Mm. So I went out and earned it in a marathon. You've certainly earned it at Houston. How long has it been growing? And what's the what's the direction here on the mustache? It's been... Almost a year now since I like started growing it. I mean, I've been like trimming it every now and then, keeping yep. it tamed, in control. Um, I mean, the second the mustache starts wearing me, that's when it's gonna go. That's when the tiger gets out of the cage. Yeah, <laughs> I I've been getting a lot of compliments about it, which surprises me, and I get really excited about um, the like most interesting thing somebody's told me. Um, I was with my girlfriend shopping at Sephora one day, mm. and one of the ladies working there came up to me and said, "You, Freddie Mercury <laughs> wished he looked like you. <laughs> and that caught me so off guard. And few things make my day, but that did it. Um, what does your girlfriend think of it? She is happy that I like it, would be what she would tell you. That's well said. Yeah. 
she has twisted that to sound very supportive. Uh, she I think is very should, supportive. I think you should appreciate that. That that's good, man. I will put it up there with one of our other favorite guests. We had Gerald Mock on this fall after Chicago, and he's got a little wispier thing going on. But the two of you are equally handsome in your mustaches. Thank you um, very much. You mentioned Taekwondo earlier, mm-hmm. Frank. What color belt are we working with? <laughs> I am a black belt. boy. How long did you practice? Probably about four or five years. Okay. Yeah. Have you ever had to use your Taekwondo skills outside of training? Um, no, not at all. It hasn't come up. I figured if they ever need to come up, I can just use my skill of that I've been really polishing of running. <laughs> I was going to say yeah. that. I would just run away first. Yeah. But it's nice to have in your bag of tricks, right? Yeah. I mean, if you ever need to. Yeah. For sure. We will hope it doesn't come to that. <laughs> um, but if it does, we want you back for a follow-up interview on, Excellent. on that. I will definitely be interested in that. All right, so Frank, good luck. 15K American Road Champs in Jacksonville, early March at Gate River Run. Is there anything else already on the calendar after that? Apart from that, I would like to get into a fast 10K at Stanford. Yeah, very cool. That would yes. that'd be awesome at like Peyton Jordan, maybe? Mm-hmm. Yeah, super. So we will be pulling for you in in march i am hopeful you you're going to embarrass me but i just hope it's not like the embarrassment that you might put on me in a 200 or a 60 (laughs) so i i hope i i can fend here uh frank so thank you so much for sharing some time with us this has been fun yeah and really excited for your success that was an incredible performance at houston and look forward to seeing you carry on with that on the road and on the track and someday in the not too distant future in a marathon (laughs) thank you so much for having me it was really cool to be on it's our pleasure frank and uh take care thanks for joining us thanks Thanks for listening to Mile 49 of Seconds Flat. Please email the show with comments, questions, or ideas at secondsflatpodcast at gmail.com. And to update our friend Joe Klecker's performance from this weekend, he barely missed the first sub-four mile on Colorado soil, clocking a 4.01. We know Joe will have a huge season this year in indoor and outdoor track. And we'll see you next time here on Seconds Flat.